Joy the Podcast. I'm your host, Heidi B, Chief Joy Officer and Divorce Coach at Joyfully B. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a thought that will help you shift your junk to joy, heartbreak to healing, and free the funk so you can move forward faster. We don't just survive, we thrive by using joy as our GPS to create a life you're obsessed with. I invite you now to grab your cup of joy juice for another epic episode. Like my mama B always says, put a smile on your face and joy in your heart. And with that, let's start. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Cup of Joy, the podcast. Today, we are talking about an amazing topic that I hope will help so many of you. But I have an incredible guest. You've heard her before. She's been on the show. But it is Dr. Sean Horn. She is a licensed clinical psychologist, a TEDx speaker, author of the Christian Journal for Women with Anxiety, host of Inspired Living Podcast, and YouTuber. With three decades of experience in the mental health field, she is now bringing the wisdom of therapy room to you with her online Inspired Living School, where she helps students to heal from toxic shame and acquire skills for emotional freedom and wholehearted living. Welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Sean. Thank you. Woohoo. If you guys are regular listeners, you know that Dr. Sean is one of my go-to gals. We have jammed on courage, confidence, grief, shame. She is a master of shame. And that's just to name a few. And so when I was thinking about this topic that has been on my heart, quite honestly, for quite some time, I mean, probably a couple of years, and it's something that saying this out loud to you, I feel like maybe I've carried some shame around it right? Always goes back Mm -hmm. to shame, your favorite topic. Um, But I wanted you back on the show today because I feel like there is this element of blame that I've never talked to anyone about, any experts about. And your name immediately popped up like, I want to get Dr. Sean's professional knowledge, heart and soul on this as it relates to relationships and specifically in divorce. So I think where all of this started for me was really feeling like when I got divorced, what some people probably still don't know, I've tried to come more forward with this over the past couple of years as I've done my own healing. But if you've never heard my story in depth, I actually had a pretty amicable divorce. We both decided one day that we would probably be better off without one another And when this happened, I thought, wow, well, this is going to lighten up life and we'll both go on and we'll go on to be the best versions of ourselves and we'll both do what we need to do for ourselves. And so here we go. And little did I know that when I woke up for the first day all by myself in this apartment, all by myself without him, that grief would hit so hard. And what happened was everyone that loved me so much rallied around me. They went, okay. You got this. We'll get over this. You don't need him anymore. You know, screw him, blah, blah, blah. We're going up in this life. And I kind of bought into that mentality of, okay, well, yeah, yeah, okay, it was him. It was him. So I'm going to just blame him and then I'll be able to move forward faster. And I tried to go down that road for quite some time and realized after a while that that really didn't serve me the way that I thought it would serve me. So that's 
my personal angle on things, I want to really understand what in the world is going on with blame and the blame game. So let's talk about it. Why do we turn to blame in the first place? Okay, let's break this down. So when we get divorced, there's so much stigma with divorce, right? Like what are the things that you hear come out of people that are like stigma phrases of divorce or things people say like, what's wrong with me? And why me? And yeah, yeah. Like, why did this happen to me? What did I do wrong? Those types of things. Yeah. And you hear other people talk about it like, oh, she was too hard on him. Ooh, they she didn't try hard enough. Maybe they didn't try too hard controlling. enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Too controlling. Didn't do therapy. Didn't try hard enough. Like you're saying. Yeah. And so we get this stigma that says something is wrong with my actions, myself, whatever is being attributed to this divorce. And that will kick in shame. We can be directly shamed by people when they express disapproval to us, when they express judgment to us, accusations, they blame and shame ourselves. And so shame is a social emotion. Now you're describing that in your private affairs, you were at peace with the divorce. And it wasn't until you were face-to-face with someone that that shifted into, oh my, I need to manage this appearance a bit. And appearance management is one of the fruits or characteristics of shame. Shame says, I made a mistake. I am a mistake. I'm flawed. I'm defective. Something is wrong with me. So I need to have my masks, my defenses up to prove to the world that I am okay. And that becomes our appearance management. I am okay because I'm beautiful, because I have money, because I have a career, I'm educated, I have the right car, house, body, name it, whatever we're presenting to the world that this is me. And that essentially is virtue signaling, right? Virtue signaling is like telling the world, showing the world, I want you to think of me this way, that I have this quality, this virtue, this standard. And so I'm going to demonstrate that to the outside world. Yeah. I definitely thought that people would think that I was less than or that I wasn't a nice person. Maybe I wasn't going to be a nice person anymore. Maybe I wasn't going to be a kind person anymore. Maybe I wasn't. There really was so much fear around how each different segment of my life was also coping. We never really talked about like, how's my family coping? How are my friends coping? What are they feeling about this? We just were, everybody was just like, how do we move on? How do we just ditch this and move on? Yeah. And what you're touching on is the trauma of shame. Shame is a social trauma and it comes from our early childhood experiences, whatever it may have been, could have been big and vibrant. It could have been not so big, could have been micro shames where we just were given these subtle messages that something was wrong with us or direct with verbal and physical or sexual abuse and, or we witnessed it in somebody else. It's very jarring. It's emotional spanking that's really intense when you experience someone shaming you. And so when we are in a world that we had to manage because we were experiencing the shame, we get hypervigilant about what they think, what they're feeling, what they think, and we kick into high drive to manage that. And this is where codependency kicks in and poor boundaries and things, because we start to manage the inner world of another person, what they're thinking. And when you get divorced, you become painfully aware that I can't control what people are thinking. 
I want them to know this about me, but I can't control that they're going to know that about me. And they might think this about me, and I don't want that to happen. So to manage that thing I cannot manage, to try to control that thing I cannot control, change that thing I cannot change, I'm going to, you know, get into this shame game, blame game of trying to manage their inner world with appearance management. Mm -hmm. And this kicks in all of our defense mechanisms to where we are now trying to mediate what we feel and we're trying to control our exposure. And so what we'll do to cover our shame is to blame. When I do that, it requires that I embrace a victim position, which then is doing other empowerment. Mm. When I say I'm a victim, I'm other empowering. I'm not empowering myself. I'm empowering them, saying they have all of it and using that as a decoy to the world to take care of us, to accept us, to love us, and so forth. So, and I know as people listen to this, they go, I am a victim. They did something wrong. And yes, so let me break down the skill set, the mindset, how you make this shift from the unhealthy management of blame to a healthy management of not blame free, you know, essentially. I feel like this is super important because one other thing that I realized is that I wanted to believe, I don't know where I picked up this belief, but I was holding on to this belief that somebody needs to be responsible for this pain. We got to put this somewhere. It's either you or me or both of us or none of, but somebody's got to be responsible for it. And, Mm -hmm. but it was almost like we all, I and my family and some of my close friends, we just wanted to like, say like, if we can just say it was because of that person Mm -hmm. or that thing, then we'll feel better. We'd convince ourselves, like then we'll understand it cognitively when really it didn't make logical sense. It just was. Yeah. We'll be free from the condemnation that that brings. Yeah. Yeah. I call that principal room therapy. People come in and they want to go, he's bad. She's bad. Who's bad? Who did it wrong? Who did it right? You know? And that is just reflective of black and white thinking, good, bad, right, wrong, worthy, unworthy, lovable, unlovable. And that is the characteristic in the blame and shame world. The unhealthy world is that black and white thinking that judges things. It judges it with a value. Like this is you did wrong and therefore are unworthy. You were the right person. Therefore, you have virtues, you know, or whatever it might be. But that doesn't work for us because the world is not black and white. Mm -hmm. So instead, we want to use a skill that I teach in my therapy called the non-judgment skill. And what non-judgment is, is learning that judgment is seeing things in this value way, in this psychotomous way. But instead of judging things, we can describe what is harmful. We can describe what had negative consequences. We can describe what was abusive, what was a crime, what was a problem. We can describe it and not judge it, right? So it's kind of like when you're kids and you're parenting a kid, you say, this behavior is unacceptable, but we're not attacking their identity. We're not saying you are unacceptable. If we do, then that becomes toxic shame, right? So instead of saying bad boy, you're saying no, we are not going to hit someone like that. 
hands are for gentle touches. They are not for hitting, you know, the hands are not for hitting. And so you give them instruction. If I just say bad boy, bad girl, there's no lesson there. There's nothing I can gain from it other than punishment. And Mm. we're hoping that if someone's punished, they're going to have insight and judgment and And children don't have that advanced cognitive ability anyway. So that becomes shame bound in itself because they're not going to learn. They're just going to go, oh, I'm bad. You know, they don't get it. And so we want to, as we mature into adults, move from this hindsight, judgment, punishment, black and white thinking into more hindsight where we're describing and we're looking at what can I learn from this? What would work with this? And that would help me to describe because then I can break it down. If I am saying he violated my boundaries and I succumb to it, my nervous system locked up. I had nervous system trauma. I couldn't move my body. I couldn't speak. I had been in this for a while and I lost myself and it took away all sense of self in extreme situations, someone gets out and they're like, wow, I was a victim of this person's criminal behavior. Yes, that is true. And because we're not judging it, we're not putting a value on you. We're not making it you're less than or more than. And with him, we're just not making it our job to condemn his identity. That's not our job. Our job is just to determine what do we need to do for the safety of this world? Mm. So if he's unsafe, then he goes to prison. And if he gets out because our criminal system is faulty and they let out horrible people, you know, or like, see, that sounds judgmental. But (laughs) let me say, when I teach non-judgment, I always say that a lot of times when we judge things, it's a shorthand way of describing. So Mm -hmm. if I say, don't eat that meat, it's terrible or yeah, it's bad. It's a shorthand way of saying, if you eat it, you'll get food poisoning. Uh If I say, oh, that movie was terrible. It's a shorthand way of saying I'm not entertained by those kind of movies. So mm. in this moment where I just said, you know, let out terrible people, that was a shorthand way of saying people who are unsafe and will continue to violate other people's safety. Yeah. Know, and so yeah. forth. And so because of that, we need to incarcerate them and keep them, keep the public protected from them. Yeah. And that's just that. I'm not putting it upon me to say, and you are this identity, you know, it's just not my job. So we want to describe what works, describe what doesn't. And I remember one time watching this Oprah show and she was reflecting with people a long time ago, like trying to pull out the small decisions they made that supported them being in this really toxic situation. Mm. So let's say I go on this date with this guy and he is disrespectful and he doesn't show up on time and he gives me some excuse. And then I communicate, I'm upset and he yells at me. And I say to myself, well, maybe he's not always like that. And, you know, maybe I didn't say it very nice and he's just in a bad mood. Maybe it's better, you know, we'll see. And so I keep dating him. So what they were trying to highlight in that show is in that very moment, they didn't honor the red flags. They didn't honor their gut. Right. And so then later it goes South and then the person will make a personal attribution to it and say, see, my picker is broken. I don't know how to choose partners. I can't trust myself. Yeah. Why do we sometimes shift from blaming outside of ourselves to then blaming ourselves? 
Where does that self-blame come from? Well, in a roundabout way, it's kind of like this dyslexic approach to feeling empowered and in control. Because mm. if it's my fault, if I'm the villain, I can be the hero. Yeah. So codependent folks will often blame themselves to keep in the game and try to continue to try to change something they can't change. Mm. So this is where we got to call a spade a spade and know that it's bigger than you. You can't manage another person's inner world. Don't do their recovery. Don't manage their thoughts, their perceptions, their feelings. Don't manage it. You can't. And someone who is unhealthy will tell you you should. They will say, it's your fault that I feel, think, act, and you need to do it right for me to be all right. And this mm-hmm. is deceptive and it's toxic. If your listeners want to learn more about that, the emotional sobriety curriculum really helps to break that down on how you can still be attentive to relationships, but not assume their part, not overfunction for people's dysfunction, but mm-hmm. you're doing what you can, you know, to be the most effective, best human you can in that relationship. But it's really hard to know that difference, right? And that's that serenity prayer. Help me control what I can, change what I can. Give me the courage to change the things I can, to accept the things I cannot change and the wisdom to know the difference. And so we need that wisdom because we don't know the difference when we have been programmed throughout our whole life that we are responsible for external factors. And right now in society, they're promoting it big time. They're saying the world needs to be do it right for everybody else to be all right. Mm. It's not quite working. Yes, we want to promote certain behaviors, kindness, courtesy, respect, and so forth. But it's it's never been done in the history of humans to have mastered that as a collective. So we're just going to have situations where things are not all right. And we have to learn the skills and the mindset to be all right in the midst of things that aren't all right. To be grounded in the midst of our storms. And that takes a lot of skills, mindset, knowing how to work with your body, with, you know, understanding your nervous system and being able to tend to it. So if we go back to Oprah, like when she was trying to say, you didn't listen to that red flag. If we have black and white thinking, a shame bound thinking, we're going to condemn ourselves. Oh, see, I didn't listen to myself. See, I can't trust myself. And so that's kind of missing the mark. What we want to do with hindsight is let it be a teacher to grab hold of that insight, that new knowledge, and let it inform your future in an empowered, productive way. So that would look like, oh, yeah, I did ignore how I felt about him yelling at me. I did make excuses for that behavior. I did justify it, minimize it, and I had magical thinking that maybe it's going to be different, even though it kept repeating itself, right? Mm. So now moving forward, I will honor those feelings, even if I don't understand them. If I'm on a date and I'm like, I don't like the way this person's talking to me, I'm just going to honor that, not the one for me. Oh, but I really like him, but I really want him to be not the one for you. Yes, but he says we're going to have this and this and this. Those are word, word dreams, Mm. not actual experiences that you've had with them. How many women have stayed? You know, I want to hear from the group out there. How many of you have stayed with men for years and years and years based on the I'm gonna, 
I'm going to take you on this date. I'm going to ask you to marry me. I'm going to get you a ring. I'm going to da, da, da. They draw these verbal pictures that we get so attached to and we forget that that's not reality. And then you sit with these people and you go, okay, well, let's take inventory. Did they give you that ring? No. Did they take you on that vacation? No. Have they asked you to marry them yet? No. Have they? H1. No, 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 no. Not the man he is presenting to be. Yes. And it's heartbreaking because I want him so bad to be that. Right. Mm. And he gave me a taste of it when he pretended to be that man. But I must not deceive myself anymore and not co-sign that bullshit. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Or, or, or believe or believe your own bullshit. Maybe you're the person that you were saying we're talking about this and you're going, whoa, I've been the person sharing things that I'm actually not willing to live up to that I'm not okay with. I'm presenting myself differently because I'm afraid that I'll be perceived as not a great boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. And it's again, like coming back to this, like that shame is runs so, so deep. But yeah. I remember for me, and maybe we can talk about what you believe this is, what you know, this is in your practice. And that is when I realized that blaming him wasn't going to work and blaming me wasn't going to work. Mm -hmm. I started doing some deep healing practices. I was doing body-based practices. I was doing mindset shifts. I was doing a lot of things that are used in the coaching and therapy worlds, tools, mm -hmm. if you will, that I'm sure you use with so many of your clients. Mm -hmm. And when I started to unlock more of who I was, I was willing to describe, I think describe is what you said is the way to be mm -hmm. healthier. I was able to describe what was actually happening and take ownership of the way that I had and hadn't been showing up in my marriage without blaming myself, just owning it. I don't know how to describe it other than it felt very empowering to mm -hmm. realize and be willing to own those parts of me that I was so afraid to show anyone before. And even though I maybe didn't present those in a formal way to my friends and family, I truly believe the shifts that I've made energetically and in my belief system allowed me to show up as a more authentic version of myself now. And I think that's all I really needed to do was I would start to say things like, actually, I don't blame him. And I think that's a really big thing when they would start to go down that path. I'd say, actually, no, I don't blame him. And they didn't push me any further, but it just kind of like stopped that conversation. Mm -hmm. like, you know, so what do you think what's happening when you shift from the blame into more of this ownership space? Oh, so powerful. When we are in that blame space, we are exiling parts of us. We are making agreements with that shame. They're Ooh. saying, I'm bad because I did this thing. And we're like, yep. And we push it away and we mask up and we do appearance management. And it gets us into this dynamic that is so oppressive. And we'll match people that will mirror back to us this belief system we hold. If I have condemned myself, then I am going to gravitate towards people that will condemn me because I'm familiar with that. If I go to someone who doesn't, then I don't know what to do with that. So I'm going to control what I do know. And I do know how to function in this role of being unlovable. Wow. It's a really big, like 
big mind blowing kind of concept about how we will repeat patterns because they're more familiar. So we feel safer with them. Yeah. Then stepping into the unknown that's loving and embracing and abundant and positive. If we don't really believe that that is for us, then we, our unconscious will think we're signing up to taste something that we will never be able to truly have. And we will spend our life grieving the fact that it is not attainable for us. Wow. That is so deeply terrifying that people will go, yeah, no, I'm just going to stay in this with jerks who tell me I'm unlovable. And I can say they're the bad guy. I'm the victim and people will be kind to me and I might get love or acceptance that way. Right. That's just one scenario. Remember, it's not black and white, lots of complexities to this. Well, I actually get people ask me often, when should I start dating again? How long should it take before, you know, all those things? That's the rule. (laughs) Right. And I love what you just said about blame familiarity is kind of what it sounds like. Like, I just feel so familiar with this blame and this shame cycle that if we don't take the time to work within ourselves to heal those parts, Mm -hmm. then we're going to just reach for the next person that makes us feel comfortable in blame and shame. So my short answer to that is, well, when you've taken the time to actually heal those parts of you, then you'll know that you're ready versus just feeling this like desperation and urgency to fill a gap. Yes. And people can get so scared of that thing. Oh, it's so much hard work and it's so painful. And, you know, they just want to be already in a position of mastery. And so they'll avoid that. But what we know about growth mindset is that when you do new things, when you try new things and you struggle and you fall and you mess up and you can't do it, you are building new neural connections. You are wiring your brain into a new brain atmosphere. You are renewing your brain. So when you start to move towards the unknown, that's unfamiliar, that you don't know, you're acquiring skills, you're in the script, you're doing the scrimmages, you're, you're going on a date and "Hmm, that worked, that didn't work. Oh, I noticed this. And I had that insight. And when you get that, then you go back in and you try again and you're molding it and molding it and learning from it. And when you move from hindsight to kindsight, you're looking at the lessons. What can I gain from this? And when you're working with someone that can help you with new ways of thinking, new ways of approaching, how to understand your body, how to understand your biofeedback. What does intuition feel like? What does gut feel like? What do nudges feel like? What is my inner wisdom? You know, all these things we work on in therapy, then we start to mold a new self and we move from who we were programmed to be and we transform into the person that we were actually designed to be. And what you're doing, what you said that was so powerful was that when you did the work, you essentially, by looking at the shame, by saying, yep, this happened. Yep. I said that, did that. And you practice radical self-acceptance in that. You didn't exile yourself. You can't exile yourself when you look at it and speak to it. Mm-hmm. When, you know, when we're ignoring it and hiding it, it's exiled. But when you have conversation with it, you are now freeing it. And so you told your story, you spoke your truth. And all of a sudden it's like, what just happened? Well, the cloak of shame dropped off. Mm. And this is the powerful message of my friend, Nicole Mischke, who has a show called Uncovered. And I'm an expert on her show. 
she talks about how telling your story frees you from shame. And she had a huge shift when she went before a huge audience. She was a public figure, newscaster, well-known in our community. And she confessed publicly, I am bulimic. And by doing that, she shifted. It lost its grip on her. Yes. And she couldn't understand it. She goes, what is this magic that just happened? And so now she's making a platform for people to tell their story. And so if you go to her YouTube, you'll see people sharing their story, their shame story. Wow. And they find healing in that. They find freedom in that. And I think that's what's so powerful in any sort of group setting like AA or support groups where someone stands in the room and says, I am a raging alcoholic. I have destroyed my children, my wife. I've been in jail. I've been in all these things have gone wrong. I've lost everything and I keep doing it. And people say, welcome. We love you. Yes. Wow. What just happened there? Right. And this is the power why all of us are telling our stories and we're saying, yeah, I have ADHD. Yes. I, this and that, you know, because you're giving other people freedom to go, oh, and that's not a bad thing. No, it's called being human. Right. So by doing that work, looking at it honestly, not being afraid of it, not judging it, but just going, hmm, what happened here? I have this insight. I see this. I made this choice. I didn't make that choice. I managed that this way. And okay, what can I learn from this? When you did that, you moved from a shame-bound mindset to a shame-free mindset. You moved from other empowerment to self-empowerment. You moved from black and white thinking to dialectical thinking, which is opposites exist together. Mm -hmm. And you were able to learn. And the thing with these experiences in life, divorce and grief and things that really change our life, we will have feelings about it until the day we die, but they will all be different. Different feelings will pop up. We'll have different insights. My mom um, divorced my dad when I was three. And I remember being with her in my late forties and she's like, you know, I realized if I had done this or that, I probably wouldn't have divorced. You know, I kind of feel bad that I did Uh. this and that. And it was so striking to me that here you are and you're still reflecting on it. (laughs) Yeah. So we must know it's not an arrival. It's not a destination. Like you do your work and you've done it. You're done. It's an arrival. You did your therapy over because it's a process. It's a process that unfolds. And when we're prepared and able, we'll feel different things and different awarenesses will come to us as we grow. But we need to welcome it all because it is refining us and building us and supporting us into being the best version of us. So Mm. we want to embrace the hurt and the pain and say, how can this help me? How can I improve with this knowledge? And that is that kind sight. And when we lay down the shame and blame and the victimness, then we are rescuing ourselves. We are self-empowering. And we begin the journey of reaching out to learn what we need to learn because we're not shaming ourselves that we should already know all this stuff. We're acknowledging like, yeah, I don't know all this stuff and that's okay. I don't have to. It's inhuman. You know, people don't know everything. That's why we have coaches. I can't see the back of my head. So I'm going to need someone else to see the back of my head and tell me what's going on. (laughs) Yeah. So we need those other people and to wrap around us in love and support and equip us with what we need to do things differently, to have a different game and keep practicing and keep doing and, and not be afraid of the sadness and the pain and the hurt and the anger. 
it's not so scary. They're just information for us to attend to. But we need the right way to think about it and tools to sort through our attending. Wow. I feel like my eyes and my heart is just so opened up from this conversation. I wish I would have had this conversation a long time ago. But something you said earlier, too, was really interesting. And you said that blame is the emotional watchdog of shame. So when we notice, because I feel like maybe it feels like to me that it's easier to notice blame than it is shame. Mm -hmm. Right? Like pointing the finger either out or in. It's easier Mm -hmm. to see that unfolding so the one of the biggest takeaways to me is that really that blame is just a call for attention like hey there's some shame to give attention to here. Yeah, it's trying to ensure our safety. Cuz if we see the world black and white like mm-hmm. the principal room therapy, who's right, who's bad, who's the good one, who's the bad one, who did it, you know? If we can have them take it, then I'm going to be safe from this social exile potential. And I'm going to stay connected and I will be loved and people will see my value and want me in their lives. Mm. And we want to be in relationships, right? So we are protecting ourselves. We're controlling the feeling of shame and we're protecting ourselves from exposure. But the exposure is to self and others. We don't know we're doing this. We buy this 100%. We completely believe what we're saying. And we're very invested into it because it is our guard dog. If I let this go, then I will have people think things about me that aren't true. I will have people believe stuff that, and I cannot have them think that. I cannot have them believe that. They must know. And we just have to understand, like as a rule of thumb, you can't control what people think, believe, feel. And if they're going to judge you like that anyways, they're not your people. So we got to shift into a different community of people who will really build us up and speak life into us. And that doesn't mean they don't say, hey, I'm concerned about this decision, or I want to bring this to your awareness, or don't do this thing. It's really hurting you. You know, when you love someone, you do give them wisdom and you do give them caution and tell them to stop sometimes, right? And so it doesn't mean that they won't do that, but the purpose and intention of all that is to support the best version of you, not as they define it, but as a universe could possibly make it right. And so they're like, I don't know what the best thing for you is, but I want the best thing. And here's some wisdom I think might help. And they don't require that you subscribe to their wisdom. You know, they just say, this has helped me. Maybe it will help you. Mm-hmm. And they give you the freedom to think through, to sort out do it my way or get out, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think it's super helpful. I loved your example of the woman from Uncovered getting on stage and just sharing her story. And I think that that's really, really powerful piece of all of this is if we can actually, I know before we even started recording, you asked me a couple of questions that helped me uncover even a few more things that I hadn't actually realized about myself. And just in owning that, again, going back to that owning part of own your story, Share it in a safe space, in a safe place. And maybe that is a therapist. Maybe that is a coach. Maybe that is a mentor. Maybe it is a trusted friend, wherever that is. Maybe it is a recovery group or a group setting. I know for me, I have 
a group of divorced women that I've opened up. And basically it's for that reason. Share your story, get the tools so you can move forward. But if we just hold on to all of that, trying to put the blame somewhere and cover up the shame, it just sits and it just stinks and it doesn't feel good and it doesn't allow us to live the life that we're meant to do. So thank you so much, so, so, so much for digging in deep on this. I feel like I have a lot of clarity. I hope our listeners have a lot of clarity. And I just have a couple of questions and I know you've answered them several times on Cup of Joy, but it's different every time. (laughs) Oh, I forgot about these. (laughs) Before I do that, how can people get more of you in their life? What are you up to these days? Like, what are you passionate about? I am passionate about equipping people with what they need to grow, to grow through their shame, the blame, all the things that oppress us. So they can find that emotional freedom and really become the best version of them and live in their life most abundantly, right? So I am doing that on several platforms. Uh, I do that on YouTube. I do that on Instagram. I do that on my podcast and I do it in my Inspired Living School. So if people want to take courses and they want to work with me, I direct them to go to my website, the drshawnhorn.com sign up. And as they roll out, you will get this, these courses and we'll be able to learn together. We can't do it different if we're not equipped. And a lot of times shame says, well, you should know, you know, everybody else knows, why don't you know? And we compare our insides, other people's outsides, Mm -hmm. and we think they all have it together, but often they don't, we don't know what's happening behind closed doors. And how are we going to know how to do something if no one ever taught us role modeled it, or we didn't practice it enough till we mastered, you know, so we need a lot of learning about our brain, our nervous system, our, how our bodies work, how all these components play together, nutrition, lifestyle, you know, genetics, chemistry, all sorts of things. So we can put that understanding in its right place rather than shame, blaming and stigmatizing but yeah. we don't understand. So I teach people how to human well. <laughs> yeah. And give them what they need to know this is human. This is being a human and here's how to human well. And they are like, "Wow, feels so good, you know." Yes. And so that's uh that's my mission. So yeah, I am the shame busting psychologist. You hear me talk about that cuz it's core to everything. But I also am revealing that so that we can unleash ourselves to it so we can move into the most abundance we can have. I love that you have so many platforms and you're just such a beautiful human being. I love you so much. And I'm curious of what is one thing that you love about you? I am a risk taker. I'm adventurous. You know, I used to not love that about me because I have ADHD and people call it being impulsive and I will do things and then think about them, you know, but I think being a big picture person and being a creative person and someone who has a lot of energy. I'm a seven on the Enneagram, if anyone knows what that is. so Me too, me too. Maybe that's why we love each other. (laughs) Yeah, I've got, I have a condition of overactive enthusiasm. So (laughs) I always thought there was something wrong with me until I learned, oh, it's like, that's actually a named thing out there is you're a seven. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is not a diagnosis. This is um, the life of the party. You want a seven around, right? And So, you know, I like that my life, that courage I've had, that risk-taking I have has allowed me to experience so many things that it wouldn't if I stood in fear and I wasn't willing to shift the shame. 
mm-hmm. and unleash it so that I can unleash me. Yes. Unleash that shame. Unleash who you are, girlfriend. Yes, I love that about you. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and the last question for closing is, what does joy feel like in your body today? Oh, what does joy feel like in my body today? It feels like energy. It's uplifting me. I'm standing tall. My stomach feels open. My shoulders don't feel tense. And I have a smile on my face. Yes. Yes. Thank you for giving all those somatic descriptions. It's so beautiful. I felt them in my body. You give me so much joy just by sharing this time together. I feel so uplifted by you. I know that you're such a bright light in this world and all of our listeners need to get more of you in their life. So thank you so much for once again, taking time out of your busy, busy, full life to be with us here on Cup of Joy. It means so much. Thank you for having me. And to all of our listeners, go out into the world, shine your light bright, and live a limitless life. We'll see you soon. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you loved the chat today, take a quick screenshot of this episode and send it to a friend. Connecting with you brings sunshine to my soul. So let's continue our conversation on Instagram at joyfullybe. And check out my soulful services at joyfullydivorced.com. Remember, joy is contagious. So go out there, shine your light bright, and live a limitless life.